Hello, and welcome to How to Ruin Your Own Reputation. I'm your host, Marcy Warhaft, the resiliency rebel and author of The Good Stripper, a soccer mom's memoir of lies, loss, and lap dances. What do you do when you're a devoted wife and mom until a series of traumatic events, including death, crime, and betrayal, lead you into a secret double life filled with sex and secrets, forcing you to fight your way back before it's too late? Well, if you're me, you write a book and start a podcast. My guests have either found themselves living lives they've never expected or have chosen to reject society's expectations and shake up the status quo so they can feel free to be whoever they damn well want to be. Buckle up. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Welcome to How to Ruin Your Own Reputation, the show where I talk to people who have either been through unique experiences or are living lives either personally or professionally that some people just might not quite understand, and they're doing it unapologetically. Today, my guest is Pharrell Shamar, the trans technician. Pharrell is a proud trans man and also a professional boxing coach known as the pad technician. Pharrell's mission is to enable equity in the world of combat sports through his advocacy and educational videos and breaking down stereotypes and barriers for trans people in the world of combat sports. But his story is much more far-reaching than that. So thank you so much and welcome, Pharrell. Thank you, Marcy, for having me. It's, uh, it's very appreciated. I have to tell you that I've watched some of your interviews and I've listened to your podcast and I've really, a lot of stuff that you've said has impacted me and what I find it's validated what I believe, which is that so many people are afraid to tell their own stories because they think that either nobody will understand because every, whatever happened just happened to them or, okay, maybe just a few people will understand. But what they don't get is that even though the details of our personal stories might be unique to us, there's usually a common thread, a few common threads that are universal themes. And that's why I feel like you and I have had different lives, but there are things that you've said that completely resonated with me. And so I think it's so important that people share their stories. It's why I've shared mine in, in my book is you never know who's gonna hear something from you that they really need to hear. And, and oftentimes it could be somebody that you would not even expect. And so mm -hmm. I wanna say something and please correct me if I'm wrong. And if at any time while we're talking, you wanna correct me, please do. <laughs> from, what I've, from what I've been listening to, I get the impression that you've been a fighter your entire life because when you were younger, you were fighting just to be you. You knew who you were, but you were fighting just for the right to be you. And you had to fight against family. You had to fight against the educational system. You had to fight against the medical profession. And then mm -hmm. when you got into combat sports and martial arts, then you were literally fighting. And now it seems like you're combining the two where you're fighting through your advocacy, but then also training and encouraging and supporting other people in the LGBTQ community through combat sports. So for me, it sounds like it's just been in different ways, but it's just been a fight, like you were born a fighter. Well, the, the correction on that is everyone, everyone just, I don't know why there's an assumption out there um, that I'm a fighter. 
when um, I don't know how that started. Everyone's like, this is a, you know, Pharrell Shemar, the trans boxer. I'm like, I never said I was a boxer. Like I, I do boxing. I was supposed to fight when I was younger, but I tore my ACL. So I got into coaching, but everyone's just like, nah, you're a boxer now. And I'm like, well, no, that doesn't fly right in. Our well, you're a trainer, a boxing so, trainer. So it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But everyone knows. Um, so that's, that's usually the fun part. I'm like, I'll go ahead with it. I'll... <laughs> no matter how much I correct people, like you're a fighter in my eyes. I'm like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> uh, you know, yes, everything you said is true. So what was it like? Do you want to explain a little bit about the, the childhood part of it? Um, I had a very challenging childhood because I'm, I'm I'm a half Greek, half Italian, so I'm very wog, very European. So already the culture itself is a very masculine dominant where the men go out, they do what they want, and the women stay at home and they cook and clean, and that's their place. That's your place in life with very strict Europeans. Not everyone's like that. And, I mean, at the age of five, I just knew. You, know, you just know. And it's one of those things where, uh, that's really one of the questions you asked me about a movie. And the only thing I could think of is who would play me as Rob Schneider. Cause I could only think of the, the hot chick where <laughs> he wakes up, they change bodies. It, comedy is a great, it's a great comedy. Then you're just like, but you know, I always tell people, if you just imagine waking, waking up in the, in the opposite gender, you're like what's going on and how do we fix it? And, but it's more of a deep depression because it's not you. So you wake up, you're like, well, they're doing what I'm meant to be doing. And they're wearing the clothes I'm meant to be wearing. But you're making me wear a dress. You're making me identify as a, as a female with a different name. And it becomes severe. Like it was severe depression. Like the moment I was at primary school, I just, I wanted to walk away every single day. I don't think I could remember anything being more depressing than that. Wow. And so, so what was high school like, for example? Um, I made it to when I was 13 and 14. So that would be year eight. I don't know how the, uh, the system works in okay. Canada. Okay. Um, and I think halfway toward the year, like I, I struggled a lot in high school because I had shorter hair by then. I wore different pants. So uh, some schools, uh, actually majority of schools in Australia, where you'll have to wear, you know, the girls will wear the blue pants, the boys will wear the gray pants. So we've got our uniforms. And I tried to get away with wearing more of a darker navy blue so I could not have blue pants. And obviously no one knew. So being at, even I was at high school and I didn't have puberty, you know, I was you know, just looked like a little clean baby faced person. Um, no one knew anyway. So the the teachers were very, well, why is that boy wearing blue pants? And they would always call me out too. And they knew who I was. Mm. And they, uh, they'd, uh, they'd always put me out and go, well, you know what? Why don't you just go stand next to the girls where you belong? And then obviously everyone knew. Try hiding your reputation at school. It's it's not fun. It's, it's very stealth. But I really copped and then the bullying would start. So I would have all these male friends get along great. And then the teachers would put me in positions where they would call me out in front of a classroom and then I lost my friends. I know it's high school, so in a sense, it's like no one really knows who they are to go, well, real friends wouldn't do that. But it's a bit of a double-edged sword in that aspect. So I didn't have any friends and I had I, I pretty much got bullied more from the teachers, which <laughs> I felt like gave the young people more of a privilege to go, well, we can do that too, which is pretty disgraceful on that part. And halfway towards year eight, my year eight coordinator pulled me in the office and said, you know, I think it's time you start looking at a new school. And oh. this conversation kept going on quite a bit throughout that year. And, um, and then one day she pulled me in the office again, same conversation. She's like, look, you can stay here if you want, but you're going to fail and you will continue to fail every year until you leave. So that was a threat of I'm going to fail you. 
Now, I don't know if they can do that, but I, you know, being 14 years old, I'm like, oh, okay, I better go. But it was a very, these conversations came up frequently and they were more in depth of you need to leave. And they told, she told my parents the opposite. So they didn't know. And my father didn't help either because he's a, he's a naive idiot where, you know, the teacher's like, Pharrell's not doing well. And right in front of the teacher, he'd go, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I have to fight both of you. <laughs> so I ended up just being forcefully pushed out of school. And when she had asked my parents, what schools are going to next? They're like, oh, this one, that one. She had already rung them up and I wasn't allowed in. So I actually wasn't accepted to any other schools, uh, after that, and um, I basically stayed at home from the age of 14 because I had nowhere to go. No one wanted me. I wasn't that bad, you know. Wow. So what was there, what was her, it was just that she had an issue with it personally? There was not, and what would she tell the school? She would sort of rat you out as to, or would she say that you weren't a good student? I, I can't even imagine how that would fly. Well, when we first came to the school, we, you know, you had like a family introduction. She, as far as I'm concerned, my mom said she loves you. She liked hanging around you. She was very helpful and supportive. I got bullied a lot and I had to fight my way through, you know, the bullying and stuff. I never got into physical arguments or anything or physical altercations, but I was bullied heavily. And, you know, I'd always end up in the, in the office because I was the one that, you know, we had a lot of, um, you know, we had multicultural, every, we had every culture you could think of at the school. So at the time, there was a lot of racism, you know, a lot of movies would come out and kids would be like taking those character traits and then it would start. And I'm like, oh, my God, this again. Um, and I was involved in a lot of, you know, people picking on me, but the teachers were having a go at me. And I'm like, I'm not standing for this. So I tell them where to go. No, nothing rude. I'd be like, you know what? You're just doing that because you're trying to get on their good side. And I'm in the principal's office again. So I just constantly getting getting picked on for silly things and it's like in the, the old school it's like well why am i in the office when i've done nothing wrong and it's like we're not talking about them we're talking about you so they've gotten away with it again so then they get more power they get more of an ego they get more of a bigger head and i'm back in the office having to explain that i got picked on and i'm standing up for myself but yet i'm being punished once again so that's how they would use that would basically fall um fall against me in that aspect and, and it well. wasn't like you could go home and be supported at home so then you, you left school, you're 14. So then what was that? What was it like when you were at home? What were you doing? Um, de depressed because my father was, a wasn't a good person. So, you know, uh, gambled, uh, didn't go to work. He was doing, you know, he was doing things behind our back, you know, dealing, smoking. Um, so we didn't have anything at that stage. I mean, we had a tiny little unit that my grandmother had, that my grandfather came from Italy. He had four units and one of them he gave to my mother. So we stayed there. And she basically, you know, it was only two bedrooms. So my sister had to sleep on the couch. I had my own room. And basically it was just living in my room every day. I had, I had nowhere to go. I didn't have a computer. Um, I didn't have friends. I didn't have any outside connections. We didn't see family because my dad had pushed the family away. Um, I didn't have any sports. My father wouldn't let me do any sports. He wouldn't let me get a job. He wouldn't let me do anything. He was controlling. He's very controlling. So I just basically woke up, sat in my room and to be honest it's, it's kind of a blur because all I remember is just wanting to kill myself pretty much as many times as I possibly could I even got rid of all the mirrors in my room because I didn't want to look at myself anymore that's how depressed I was how long did that last uh 14 to about 18 years old I was in that wow. and then what changed um, my mom took me to the DVD store back when we had DVD stores or video stores. <laughs> and um, I found a UFC. It was one of the UFC DVDs where they were in the octagon. This is back when uh -huh. it was a little bit old school. 
And they also had the Ultimate Fighter Championship out, which was like a competition. I didn't know at the time what it was. And I remember watching this. I'm like, I love this. Um, I don't know what it was about it. It wasn't the violence. It wasn't um, like the blood or anything. It was, it was the sport itself. It was the movement. It was what they were doing. And I'm like, I love this. And ironically, there was a gym around the corner that was, uh, sorry, uh, in a different suburb that had, you know, it said MMA, BJJ, karate, et cetera. And I asked mom, can you please take me there? And she, cause she didn't drive for, for several years because my dad was controlling. So when she finally had a car, she could take me. So she would take me every day. And then from one class I was doing, which was martial, mixed martial arts. I then did jujitsu. I then did the karate classes. I then stayed for the, I think like there was a big, it, it was a Les Mills class. Mm-hmm. And what happened was the trainer took all the Les Mills, but changed it into his own name. So it was basically, we were doing a lot of the, yeah, that was pretty do- So he was at the, that was my first gym. It was a McDojo gym. Basically he stole a lot of um, courses and then changed it. I'm like, what is this class? It's amazing. And then wow. years and years <laughs> later, I'm like, I have done this before it's Les Mills. So I, I loved all that stuff because we got to know it was like a massive hall and you'd have like, maybe 50 to 80 people doing this Taibo, all these cardio classes. And I knew everyone, my confidence went up. So I knew all the ladies, I knew all the moms, I knew all the dads. And I just became this social butterfly and I lost a lot of weight too. Cause I was doing about three classes, four classes a day. It was like three, four hours of, of cardio, but they were short 45 minute classes. So I dropped from 120 kilos down to 73. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't even, I didn't even realize I was still wearing big clothes and I, I was having so much fun with what I was doing because I was introduced to this and I'm like, I'm going to try that and I'm going to try that. Cause that's all I did. I didn't, I didn't work or have school. It was just uh, gym that I fell in love with what I was doing, that the weight just went, obviously I was doing cardio. I was eating differently, but I didn't realize my environment changed and brought out a better side of me. So when I explained to fitness about things too, I also explained to people that, you know, if you're going to go in for a sport, you will automatically adapt your body will adapt because you're doing this for, but if you're going and I've got to lose five kilos, then you've already put stress and strain on the mindset. You're not having fun. So I always utilize that because I know I had so much fun um, looking back that I managed to just get involved in the love of what I was doing as opposed to focusing on weight. You know, I'll tell you, I just have to say as a little side note, I for a while was obsessed with the UFC upset and it's the same thing like the first I watched my first fight like between like my eyes were covered and I was kind of looking and then I remember turning to the person I was with and I said I'm ashamed at how much I'm loving this and it got to the point where I swear this is up until a few years ago where when I couldn't sleep at night I would have to alphabetically list UFC fighters in my head until right. I fell asleep I swear I'm just that's impressive uh, I, I don't know what it was. I absolutely, and, and I have two boys and, and one of them's high level Taekwondo. And even they didn't like watching fights with me because I would get very emotional. So there is, and I never fought, but there's something about it. And for me, it wasn't even, it's not that I minded the blood because I didn't, but it wasn't that part of it. It was, I, I, I liked watching the martial arts more than, or even the smaller guys and seeing the technique than the big yes. knockouts. Like I just, I found it almost pretty, you know, that, that, that whole part of it. And I, I, so I get it. I get it. Now, when you, that, that transition from being in your room and being so depressed and out of shape and then walking in, was it an instant you walked in and it was like, a, this is where I'm supposed to be. Or was that, cause it had to, I'm thinking, I mean, I know so many people have been in that situation. I've been in a situation where I went through a very depressed time and same thing, just, get it. I would, I would try to stay up as much as I could 
um, at night so that I could sleep through the day and be tired. Like it's a, you know, every day is like, oh my God, how am I going to get through another one? And even though you, you, you know, okay, I'll feel better if I do get up and go, it's like a huge weight on your chest, keeping you down. So when you're in that, especially for so many years and you're young, you know, you haven't had, it's like you've had some great times. So you can say, well, this is just a blip on the, you know, it's, you're so young. There hasn't been that much time. Continuous. To prove it so, <laughs> so what, what was it that, like, I'm trying to think, can you explain that the first time that you walked in to the dojo, the first time, like what got you to get up and leave the house and go to take that first class? It was just, I want to do this. It's just, it's like, you know, I know I want to do this. So I'm going to do it. it. It wasn't easy in a sense. I was very shy. You know, my mum had to be there and I'm like, can you, you know, could you speak on my behalf? Cause again, I didn't really have social skills or the confidence to speak. Um, but when I did the classes, it was the MMA that was first. It was, I felt at home, you know, and it's really interesting because people can always, it's like, I guess when you explain love, it's like, you just know, you know, but it was the mixed martial arts where I just felt somewhat at home. And I'm like, I was engaged. I was, I was a bit, you know, I was obviously self-confident where, you know, I was bigger, I hadn't had the surgery, so you're always looking around, but I was very engaged in what I was learning and I was taking the information in like a sponge. And the, the staff members there were quite great too. So they were very welcoming. They weren't dismissive. They were acknowledging, but they were very, you know, wide, eyes wide open, you know, handshakes, you know, hugs. They were very, very welcoming. But if you can put it that way, I don't know if you've seen any or heard of, you know, when you see cult movies or you hear about cults, they're very welcoming. They're loving. They draw you in and you're like, amazing. I'm loved. So in that aspect, they were welcoming for me. And the people there were genuine. A lot of people, like I'm still friends with a couple where they're just genuine people. You find a place where you socialize, you see people that are like you or been in your same shoes or you've got something in common and the vibe there was great. So it was a very welcoming, warm vibe. It wasn't, uh, what's going on? So you do have that, you know, that feeling to want to keep going back because at home, obviously, if anyone's you know, having a bad day at work, where do you want to be? You want to be in an environment where you're always feeling welcome and loved until you go home. You're like, oh, <laughs> I have to go right. back again. Probably, the, probably that's why I wanted to go back so much because that was the only place that I felt welcomed. Well, it's funny because I always, uh, I do a lot of body image advocacy with kids. And that's one thing I've often said to parents is find something that your kids love to, whatever it is, even if it's something that you don't have an affinity for, but whether it's art or sports or music or anything, because especially if things at home aren't great, or even if at school, it isn't great to have another place that you can go to where you do feel, especially if you're doing something where maybe maybe you want to do something that most of your friends, people at school don't get, but here you're in a group of people who all like the same thing. And there could be mm. an adult, like an instructor there or someone there that, that gives you that sense of now you're welcome here. I think it's so important. So it's amazing that you had that. Now, when did you switch from training to coaching? Um, I went from, was I 20? I always have to go by my years. 22, I left that gym. Um, I actually met my first girlfriend at the gym and then that just, that, that destroyed me. So I'm like, I have to leave now. Um, that was just, it was really bad. I had everyone turn against me there. It was a really, that's when you could see, that's when I saw the culture change. So I was with her, I was engaged and then she just left. She left for someone else in the gym. And instead of having support, that's when everyone went, dude, just get over it. And I'm like, are you kidding me? 
And that's when everyone turned their backs. So that was one part of the culture that came out. So I went to another gym, which um, ironically, our trainer was going to. So he was a black belt. He was a, he was a white belt posing as a black belt. Oh. And so he was getting lessons at the gym I then went to. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh, but he no. never said anything. He never said anything, though, because I think he got caught out. So he just looked at me and I decided I didn't care at that stage. So I stayed at this new gym when we did Muay Thai. So this is where things started to come into place. And I'm like, because what I had learned as Muay Thai was not. Mm. So I'm, I was then being told, dude, whatever you learned for the last four or five, no, hold on, how many years is BS. Oh, no. So then I'm like, what do you mean? I've been learning, you know, I can do, I could do, you know, these jumping, spinning kicks. I could kick over the head. I had like, my kicks were amazing. And they're like, that's not a kick. And I'm like, great. So I have to learn the Muay Thai way. But it just kept going. Like it was just one big battle because the Muay Thai trainer was a K1 trainer. So it wasn't traditional Muay Thai with elbows. It was a more strictly K1, westernized. So everything I kept learning wasn't really a strict discipline, which wasn't a big deal because I love K1. I prefer K1 more than Muay Thai. But, and then I learned boxing there. And then they had their mixed martial arts there, but it was more on the ground as opposed to stand-up because I love stand-up. So I developed um, that. And then that gym was, again, another toxic gym because it's all about, well, you don't look really fit. You don't look really manly. No one really respects you here. So you're going to jump in the ring or what? So then I was forced to fight to prove my reputation to, I don't know who, but anyway, you know, because when you're young, you want the girls, you want the reputation, you want people to like you, you want to fit in, you want to be seen as a man, you want to be seen as the boxer, et cetera. So I, I trained six days a week getting ready for some fights. And then that didn't even go anywhere because I tore my ACLs. It was a full tear after class. And my trainer didn't help because he's like, nah, you're really full of it at the moment. My knee, like if if anyone's had a torn ACL, it blows blows up. It's like two legs in one. And he still kept making me train for three months. He said I was faking it. And because I was that mentally determined to prove myself otherwise, I still kept training until eventually uh, one of the jujitsu guys, there's a physio, he had a look, he goes, dude, it's torn. You need to stop. Mm-hmm. And then I became more depressed because I'm like, everything that I was working towards is gone. But I still kept going to the gym. I, I watched the classes and then I started holding pads. And that's when, that's when it all started. That's when I developed my passion for holding mitts, holding uh, the tie pads. And coaching, I started assisting the coaches, not paid or anything. I just, they're like, dude, we need you to hold pads for the fighters coming in. So then eventually I got into that. No one respected me because I'm like, well, you just hold pads. But I built up my rep and then um, it just started from there. That's how that name started. Ah, okay. So then explain a little bit about the the sort of the advocacy you do for the LGBTQ community and, and for trans people in combat sports. So I promote the inclusiveness by, you know, obviously like just small educational things like how can we accommodate? In, in my eyes, it's not that hard. You know, if, if a pregnant lady was to walk in, you'd open the door, you know, how can I help you? If someone with crutches comes in, you're like, well, how can I help you? If someone who's transgender comes in, you, well, how can I help you? It's no different. So I try to sort of put, you know, just little things like that in my little videos to go, well, how can I accommodate? How can we do this? Um, because I've trained at a lot of gyms in Melbourne, I was contracting for about 10 years. I know a lot of the gyms in Melbourne. Um, so I tend to, you know, reach out. Is there anything I can do? Give some little bits of information. People generally reach out to me because I, I, I know them anyway. But now I'm trying to do more, like more media awareness where it's like, what can we do? What can we say? 
which again, isn't that hard, but it is hard to get into because a lot of mainstream gyms don't want to know about it. They say they're supportive, but it's very hard to get a foot in the door to go well because gyms are so blase. It's like everyone's welcome, but when someone walks in, they're not welcoming. But it's the staff though. So it's the organizations themselves who the managers just don't want to bring that inclusiveness. If anything, I feel like gyms are the last place Mm. that will allow, when I say allow, will actually promote it. They just feel like, well, if you don't fit in, go to another gym because that's how the business might in a gym is. Well, we lose one member, we'll gain three more. What does it matter if this trans guy or trans woman doesn't come? We don't care. And there are a couple of gyms in Melbourne who do have uh, more weightlifting style gyms where transgenders own them or in the community oh. they own their gyms. So I usually point people towards them. At the moment, I've caught up with a couple of them. So we're trying to find ways we can promote, you know, can I do a workshop with you guys, bring that awareness out there. But everyone knows my name as the boxing coach and the pad technician. So everyone hits me up for the one-on-ones or the group sessions. And I love that, but I, my main goal is to promote it out. You know, I want everyone to actually, in my industry, allow it, you know, support it, be inclusive, which is not a big deal. It's, it's just another person in the class. It's not like you have to create a new bathroom or a new change room or a separate ring. Everyone seems to go, oh, no, we can't allow it. There's nothing wrong. You wouldn't know unless they told you. And it seems that's where I'm trying to push the awareness and the mindfulness in the mentality. There's nothing physical that has to change. It's fear, right? And it's fear. It, it's, I, I, I'm assuming it's, it's fear, but it's fear from lack of education. There you go. Hi. Uh, it's, so it's fear from lack of information, but then yes. they don't, but then they're not looking to get the information that they need in order to not be fearful, right? So that must be Correct. frustrating. And that's what you're doing is you're saying, here's the information, but I guess, what's tough is some people will be like, great. Now I, I, oh, it's not, oh, okay, we can do it. And then other people are like, I don't want to, I just don't want to, it seems too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't help either with a step, especially with now that the, uh, the combat sports has come out with, I mean, Joe Rogan had a context with Fallon Fox and the swimmer, you know, thinner and the swimmer. And it's like, what's made it worse for the community or harder and the barriers are just getting worse is because people are listening to the media and going, oh, X, Y, and Z, man, woman, man's bigger, woman's smaller, isn't going to happen. So now the, the, the sports, so we're already trying to promote sports inclusion within swimming, tennis, um, rowing, you know, the normal sports in Australia. Combat sports alone is like, so no, not going to happen. So it's even getting worse because it's like combat sports here just doesn't even seem to be a sport. It's like, that's just violent. And my answer to everything is, I don't know what it's like in Canada, you go to a parent's football match with toddlers. Oh, 100%. Arguments between the parents. A hundred percent. If you want to watch a fight, go watch kids play sport. Then you've got a real fight. It's so, you're so right. That's one thing I have to say. It, it's, it's funny because especially if you're talking about martial arts, I mean, there's just a respect part of it where that you, that you don't have in a lot of other sports. I mean, a lot, it, yeah. it's, it's, there's, they, they hit on the aggression, whereas, Again, my older son was in martial arts since he was five years old and competed worldwide. And I can say that there is a, a feeling of respect. And it, it, as soon as you walk in from when you walk in and you bow when you're walking in until you walk out. Um, so it's funny. And I know that you're so right because there are so many people who 
I think remember kind of the old school that you referred to with the octagon and sort of no holds barred, anything goes kind of thing. But there are way more significant injuries that happen in other sports than in yes. a sport in a martial art where you're prepared because you're you're not just trying to carry the ball across the line. You know that this person is going to come at you with a kick or a punch and you are prepared for it. So I do think that there's a huge stigma so I can understand. And then you're talking about people and you're like, well, now it's hard enough to accept somebody who's transgender swimming. And now you're going to accept them when they're like punching people or how, how is that going to work? And I could see that there's, it's sort of another, Ooh, you've got quite the, (laughs) quite the challenge. (laughs) For me, it's for me. And I've had a few transgender men reach out and they've gone, Oh, look, you know, do you know any boxing gyms or are you training people? Because I'm scared to walk into a gym. And I usually like, I, I comment, but then I put a, like, a little laughing emoji going, what are you scared of? And they're like, the men. I'm like, you're scared of men? Oh my God, men are like children. I mean, no offense. I mean, there are lovely <laughs> men out there, but you know, when you walk into the boxing world and men are like, it's like, mate, please relax. Just keep sitting there, keep drinking your coffee. I'll help myself. Like, we, uh, it's amazing. When we used to run the Arnie Expo in Melbourne, they had the boxing going on at the same time. And we had to take everyone through and I'd meet all the, meet everyone there. The guys would wander off. And a lot of girls were like, Pharrell, those bodybuilders are scary. And I'm like, you realize that by the time they turn around that we've already made it to the ring, you know, then nothing's going to happen. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, but that's my world. I've been in it for 10 years. I've been in such one of the most male dominating sports. And yet I've also been in construction and laboring. So for me, I'm used to it it's normal but you also realize that no one's going to do anything no one can actually or no one has the legal right to touch you even though you know you still see a lot of bullying and things like that in my mind real real martial artists and people with respect will not do something like that i always say a real man would never insult another man or put another man down and vice versa a woman so in my mind i think why are people so if you can think about you know you take young girls or uh, like younger teens or you know women in their 20s and they're scared being at a boxing match surrounded by their family and friends and people they know and train with you then you how do you imagine the community feeling when they're like jesus everything is new i don't fit in are they going to accept me do i pass there is just so much and then you've got the pronouns and and, and the boxing community is behind when i say that because we're still old school in a way where it's like grab a rope you're like everyone else but the moment you bring a pronoun in they're like my head i can't just get out that's that's how much it is where they're accepting but you start bringing the lingo in and you start bringing all these understanding in and it's like i don't want to hear it dude we're here to box so in that in that aspect martial arts is traditional where everyone's included but yet when you bring a little bit of knowledge or education it's like just get out i don't know how that works wow well i um i want to bring up something that i heard you say in another interview and it really this is what really kind of resonated with me um somebody asked you if you lean in as much to the masculinity as you did when you first transitioned that you had to feel you know be like the as masculine as possible and you talked about how you didn't feel the need to do that as much can you talk a little bit about that yeah along the way which is probably just maybe the last year or so where i just put up a recent um on LinkedIn about um, two years ago, I put up a post about something to do with masculinity and gender. And I realized that at that point, which was just actually last night, 
that uh, even though we're always one step close to, uh, closer to becoming who we are, I realize we never know who we are because we're always one step closer to becoming who we really are, if that makes sense. And I'd realize at that point that on the, um, when that woman had asked me on the segment, it was like, I don't lean into anything anymore. I still identify as men. So it's not like I'm non-binary. I have that, that mentality, but masculinity to me doesn't mean what it meant years ago. You know, masculinity, you know, how, how big's your car? You know, how masculine do you look? How masculine do you speak? Who's around you? What kind of woman is around you to make you feel more masculine? Now I take away that word and I've had a lot of people say, you know, you're quite masculine. I don't like that because I'm like, I'm not. I may have masculine traits. I may have masculine features, but I'm not. I, I like who I am, which is a gentleman because I am polite. I like to think so. Respectful, professional in my mannerisms. I'm very quirky and weird. So that, that side just, I can't get rid of and I wouldn't want to. <laughs> but to define someone by how much masculinity they have and how much femininity they have is really taking away who the person is. Because I've met men who are, you know, big, big muscular dudes and they'll shake your hand and look at you in the eyes like you're the only person in the room. That is what I define as a real person, not a real man. Because <laughs> what if another gentleman, what if another man's been raised differently and how they've been raised is respect, but they shake your hand as hard as they can. But to them, that's respect. And, and it's a genuine respect. How do you go, well, that's a real man because that man shook your hand a bit more gentle. He's not a man. So we're taking away this stigma of what people really are by putting gender even women to say that that woman's more of a woman because she she flicked her hair a certain way i don't have the hair but flicked her hair a certain way it's like well what are you saying about the other women who are raised different cultures the way we were raised by culture um the, the way we grow up but if we don't have a family we you know we're always finding ourselves so i don't like the term masculine anymore masculine traits yet because there are some women who have more masculine traits so you're saying they're more of a man than a real man so to speak so that's when I started to discover that we are really putting so much stigma on everything and anything masculine I do would just be the sport. But then again, there are women who will kill in this sport. Uh -huh, they dominate. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. what are you saying about them? So I don't think that, I think the term, like the, the words are fine. I'll use the words, but I just choose how I use the words. But I don't lean into anything masculine anymore. I don't really say that I'm in a masculine sport. I'm like, I'm a boxing coach. and what I represent is the training methods and how I speak to people. My coaching abilities allowed me to be who I am today. It has nothing to do with being a man or a woman because I train, I train everyone. And if yeah. anything, I feel like women do it better than men. Huh. I'm being genuine on that aspect. I actually think females are better athletes because they use their mind in a way that men don't because men are raised to, well, you know, you get punched, you keep getting hit. And it's, you know, how many times you get knocked down, you get back up as it with women. They're like, all right, well, how do I use my skills? How do I work the ring? How do I find a way to not be hit? But, but not because it's like, I like my face. It's more like, well, I don't want to be hit. So what do I do? How do I use my skills? How do I step? How do I find that? What's this part of the ring mean? What does that mean? How do we gauge our points? That system is actually martial arts. I always say that with boxing, it's an art if it's done right. But nine out of 10 are there for the sport. 1% are there for the art. So when you, it's like watching an artist, you know, Picasso's like, what's this distorted painting? If an artist looks at it, they'll see art. Humans look at it. We're like, that's weird, but I appreciate it. So sports is actually another way of, of art creativity within ourselves, but it's a sport. It's a business in a way. So no one really looks at it and goes, I really appreciate this art. They're like, bash him. So, I love a good knockout. so I'm there for the knockout. 
but at the same time, I, I appreciate the art. And I always felt like women didn't get and still do not get the respect and the recognition they deserve in this sport. I, I cannot stress that enough. I want to see more women in combat sports and I'll always vouch for them, regardless of what anyone says, scientific facts. Well, I think I remember even when in the UFC, when they had the first fight and there were a lot, there were a lot of people who were like, I don't want to see chicks fight or they, <laughs> listen, they'd be happy to see them if they were fighting with pillows or in mud, but, <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't want to see, or, you know, it's okay to have the women in the ring if they're walking in the bikinis and the heels and they're carrying the, the, the numbers of the rounds, but they didn't want them there. It's going to be boring. And then I think from what I remember, it was a surprise that, that, Wow. Like they're really, really good. And so there are a lot of, a lot of really good ones. I, I want to go back for one second because I want to tell you yeah. that in, in, in what I was saying earlier with how we don't know how our stories are going to resonate with other people. And I, first of all, I love when you talk about your, your goal for you isn't to be, it's not the masculine part, it's the gentleman part. I really love that. I think that that's, that should be every guy's goal is the gentleman part um, in my opinion, but what I heard, so for me, and so this is just, again, different experiences, but, but what kind of gave me chills was when you talked about how at first you felt the need to kind of lean in and prove that you're a guy and prove that, and you didn't feel the need to do that anymore. You are who you are. What, what that said to me was, I mean, I came out um, as queer when I was 50 years old. So I came out very late in life, just a, a couple of years ago as gay. And when I came out, and I've been married for over 20 years. And, and, uh, and let me tell you, I gave it a shot. I dated a wide selection and a sort <laughs> <laughs> I gave it this a This is a good idea. Let me tell you. Um, but so when I came out, I didn't like quietly kind of tip to, I came out. Like I wrote an article in a magazine that was like four page magazine. I was interviewed for different things. I was on the radio. Like I was like, I'm out. And, and I felt that I was posting a lot of queer focused because I felt like I needed to maybe validate myself. I needed to prove because it, had to, I, it, it was so long and so late and everybody knew me one way that it was kind of like in order for it to be real, in order for people to accept me, I had to kind of check all the boxes, even though at the time, one of the things that kept me from not coming out was it wasn't that I was hiding it. I questioned because from what I look it, from what's represented in the media too, there's, there aren't, you're not seeing a ton of different types of gay women. You're seeing kind of very stereotypical. And I felt like, well, that's not me or I don't like yes. that. Or I don't like, so I'm like, well, maybe I'm not. Um, so as time passed, I kind of realized I don't have to be, it doesn't, my queerness doesn't have to look a certain way. I'm me. And so however it presents itself is valid because it's me. And so that's what I kind of related to with that is that it doesn't have to look a certain way. It doesn't have to sound a certain way. As long as I'm just being, then this is what the reality is for me. And so I just, I really appreciated hearing that insight from you because it really was something that I completely related to. So thank you. For yeah. That. No, no, I was going to say thank you. Like it's, and that's what I, um, and that's what I love about you too, is, is, is that you're, I, I, actually, when I first saw her and it goes, how to ruin your own reputation, I'm like, yes, that is something I'm good at. I have to be on this, but I, 
<laughs> ruined my old reputation. But beside that, I absolutely love that view because I can't stress enough that you do. If there is so much of, if you don't look like that, speak like that. And it's, it seems to be like 90 or 80, 80 to 90% more of that. And how do you validate yourself? You know, when you're on your own, who validates you? Who tells you you're doing a good job when you're so used to people, you know, even till this day, I still hardly get complimented on my boxing. It's usually from like people who don't really know boxing. They're like, oh, you're great. And I'm like, and I, and I love that. But it's like, when is someone actually going to turn around going, dude, you're, I'm a professional, blah, 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 because I was always put down. And then I realized, you know what? I know I'm good at what I do. I'm not, I'm great at what I do. But it's hard, especially as a person, when you're trying to find parts of yourself that you don't see because it's all in the media. And you're like, I like that, but it's not there. So how do you find, or how does society now, young generation, find a part of themselves that isn't out there because all we do is look out there. All we do is research. All we do is know what we know from family and friends and social media and what we hear. That's the scary part. But no one seems to, and not that it's anyone's duty to ask, is that when it comes to myself, everyone, everyone sees an image. They'll go, well, Pharrell's got a beard. He's got, you know, has a big truck. He's got a motorbike. He does boxing. It's man, 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 man. But it's like, if anyone actually took a second to look or actually ask, which no one does, and again, no one has to, is that all my tattoos are angels. They all represent a spiritual side of me. I love poetry. I love writing. I love writing poems. I love writing I love love stories and like, you know, the poetry of love, uh, soulmates, spirituality. I love jazz music. I love quiet Buddha music. I love spiritual music. I love um, meditation. I love driving to the forest and just sitting there. I love speaking to the older generation and finding out where they came from. But, every, but that's, you know, and, and one would say that's very feminine, um, which is fine. I couldn't care less. But that side of me is who I am. That's, that's me. No, no one, no one hears me speak like this because they're so used to me yelling, will you effing do this? And, you know, for Christ's sake, I said, put the ropes away. And so when people hear me speak like this, which is actually who I am, they're like, did you change your tone? I'm like, no, this is how I speak. Very, very articulate. But no one sees that side of me because they see my job. They see who I'm around. They see how I am out there. And that's become my, my image when that's what I'm trying to say. I don't want that to be my image because it's not what I represent. Boxing is my job. The car is what I drive. The bike is what keeps me free on the road. The clothes is my outfit. right. It represents the part of me that I love, but it's not who I am as a human and a soul and a spirit. And that's where I try to teach people that maybe just by default, it, all right, it does look masculine, but I'm not doing it to present that. I love how I am and who I am. And I want other people to realize you don't have to be holding a rainbow flag to be gay or to go, well, Pharrell, you didn't use your pronouns. Because I, I identify as he, him, but I don't use them. I don't go, mm-hmm. I'm he, him. I respect everyone else's, but I get a lot of backlash because I don't look like everyone else. It's like, Jesus Christ, I, I just came from a boxing dominant background and now I, gotta, I have to have rainbow flags just to prove I'm transgender. We shouldn't have to. No one needs to know. You be you and people should accept you. And if they don't want to, that's fine. We don't have to accept anyone. But the stigma of me is I want the young generation to to look at me and go, oh, thank God someone else is like me and I don't have to be, you know, I don't have to go to the community groups to be in the community. I don't have to watch boxing. People tell me off because I don't watch boxing every week. 
I watch it enough. I don't want to watch it every week. I, I sometimes I just want to watch a music video. Sometimes I just don't want to watch anything. Sometimes I just want to write. Why does that every move that I make have to define? Well, you're not queer if you don't say hey there. Or I don't know how <laughs> I was making stuff up. You're not a man if you don't do this with your beard or spit or I don't know what men do. <laughs> we notice it's we're layered. We're people like human beings are layered. And I think the problem is, is that that's too much for, for people. I think that a lot of people like what they can understand easily. So it's much easier if we present ourselves in a very one dimensional way, instead of like, Oh God, it goes deeper than that. Oh my God. That means, <laughs> that means work for me. Cause I got to learn more. Right. But it's easier for like, Oh, that's yeah. you. Okay. Or, 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 okay, well, I read that it's supposed to be like this. And now you're, now you're challenging that. And I don't want to be challenged because that's too tiring and that's too difficult. And that's the thing. So I think, I think hopefully we'll get to a point. I mean, things are changing where, where you just kind of take each person as an individual and get to know that person. Like that's Pharrell, that's Marcy. And you just, Hey, what's this person about? Instead of coming in with all these preconceived notions that were, that were told, but that's, that's yeah. Well, I don't know. But, uh, but I just I wanted to say, yeah, sorry, ahead. you go. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I love what you were saying earlier on where you mentioned um, you do youth, was it youth advocacy, body image? Body image. Or something to do with the youth, um, yeah. you know, getting the children to do things that they love. And you know what? That to me is, you know, that allows me to have so much, you know, and, and props to you and, and big respect because I love that. To see that someone like yourself is, is putting that out there is amazing because I have not seen a lot of support for people to go do what you love. And especially for the younger generation, they need an influence and support or a role model to actually have someone say, do what you love. Because through that, whether it's writing or a board game or chess, they're finding a niche within themselves. And that's the whole point in life, to have something that belongs to you as your individual self. So I think that's absolutely amazing that you're doing that. And I have, you're the first person I've heard in years say that. And I, and I have so much respect to hear that, especially, um, especially in society, the way it is now, I I just think you're a great example of what support is and that people would look at that and go, maybe I can be like, that. you don't have to be a parent, but just to have that support and understanding of, Oh, they can find a part of themselves. And you know what, who cares if they're not fitting in at school, they're doing something for them. They're going to grow up and be the best version of themselves. Isn't that what we all want? But I think we just get sidetracked. Well, I, I think, I think there's, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for that. But I think, I think there are two things that happen. One is a lot of times, and I've seen it as a parent where the parent will really, really, really want to, even before the kid's born, they know what they want that kid to do. Right. Usually it's what they've done or what they've wanted to do. And you see a lot of kids yeah. who are doing things that they don't like because they, even if they're good at it, they may not like it. And that's not good for self-esteem. But what I found is, especially because a lot of my work was around, is around body image. And the reason why I find it so important to ask your, ask your, and try a bunch of things, like put your kid in sports, put your kid in art, put your kid in music, put, try a whole bunch of things and then see what they, what brings them joy because we live in such an image obsessed society. And so if they're, if they're struggling with how their body looks, let's say, but they find something that they're good at, that they love, then nobody can take that away. Your talent, your skill and something that you love. I mean, that is like you said, that's yours. That belongs to you. So nobody can judge that. I mean, that's yours. So that's why I think it is. And then if you're doing it around people who are like-minded and support you, oh my God, then it's, that's, that's just (laughs) building such a great foundation. So yeah, no, see, I knew I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm telling you, because I just, there's some people right away where you just, 
I was listening to you and I'm like, I, I dig it. Like I just, I feel it. So before you go, I just want to tell people where they can find you if they want to, they want to reach you. Yeah. Uh, look, usually I, I, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I've jumped on TikTok now. I don't know how I ended up there, but I'm on TikTok. None of us but, do. Um, None of us do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, de- definitely Instagram is the one with all the videos. So that would be the trans technician. Or if you even type Pharrell Shamar, that'll come up. But that's got all the videos, the posts, but it all links. You know, if you go into TikTok, it'll go to Instagram. If you go to Instagram, it'll take you to YouTube, which the YouTube would just have more boxing videos, uh, whether it's reviews, supposed to review pads or boxing techniques. So it's all linked together anyway. Um, and even if you just Google it, I'm pretty sure it comes up. I've Googled myself a couple of times. <laughs> <We> <laughs> bound to come up. <laughs> okay, well, we'll put yeah. all that information in the show notes so that uh, the people can find you. Thank you again for taking the time. Thank I know you. it's really early where you are, so I no, appreciate no, no. it. <laughs> so thank you. And um, yeah, good luck. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Marcy. And likewise to you too. Okay, thanks. Don't forget to subscribe to How to Ruin Your Own Reputation, available now everywhere you get your podcasts.